You're listening to Hey Doc, the show for and by people passionate about healthy living. Hosted by Dr. Bridger Cutler and Dr. Caleb Valdez, two chiropractors seeking to make the world a healthier place. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Hey Doc. This is episode three, numero trace. We are in the studio today. I'm Dr. Valdez, your co-host. This is Dr. Cutler with me. And uh, let's just get right into this, sir. How are you doing today? Oh, you know, living the dream, surviving the nightmare. Good, good, good. All right. So we want to talk today just about chiropractic in general. We get a lot of questions relating to some topics that are kind of off in the weeds. And I think if we all had a basic understanding of what we do and what chiropractic is, uh, it would help you navigate some of those decisions and questions regarding finding a good chiropractor or how you experience chiropractic. So let's start with that, I guess. What what can you tell me about chiropractic? What is it? Hmm. That's an interesting, interesting thought right there. Um, so, I mean, chiropractic as a whole, we, if we we kind of dissect the word chiropractic, chiro meaning hands and practic meaning done by. So it's, it's a form of healing done by hands. And the whole basis of chiropractic is as an, as a non-invasive, non-surgical and non-medical. So non-pharmaceutical form of healthcare. It's addressing the nervous system without the use of these interventions such as surgery or medications yeah and it's the largest drugless surgeryless healing modality out there as uh kind of an alternative to medicine so we talk about alternatives i think people really lump us in with a lot of the homeopaths and yeah. the naturopathy and stuff and those are great modalities i'm a huge fan of all of those absolutely and typically and i think one of the hard things when you come and you, you mention alternative medicine a lot of times people with alternative medicine immediately go to things like I mean, acupuncture, acupuncture or... and well, energy healing, chakras, magnets, all these different things. Or, I mean, testing with where, where you have someone hold up a, a certain thing and say, does your body need this? And then test your muscle strength and like AK stuff. Yeah, AK or, type yeah. stuff. Yeah. And um, I'm not trying to bash any of those things, but that's not what chiropractic is. Yeah. Well, and it's important to understand that we live in a world that worships the scientific method. And medical companies are paying for all the research that's being done because medicine is extremely profitable. And so they always test things against, you know, placebos and pharmaceutical models and things like that. We really don't have a way to test energy healing, you know, Reiki, how effective that is. But you talk to somebody who's been through a, a you know, a session of some modality like that. Huge fans. They don't care oh, yeah. what the research says about it. It helped them feel better. And it's not about research. It's about how they individually feel. And then you you try and take that that case study. That's what we refer to it in the in the research world. You take a case study, which is just an individual experience, and you say, okay, here were the readings before. Like here's how they were feeling before. Here's our objective and subjective measures before this experiment or before this intervention was was done. And this is what happened afterwards. But you give that to someone else. They're just like, well, this is just a fluke. Yeah, but it's how many of these flukes do we need to have before we start recognizing, okay, there's something to this. Right. And if that case study is you and you're looking for an answer to your health and you maybe you care about the research now, you're like, this helps me significantly. Well, and you look at what what am I risking? What what could happen if this yes. goes wrong? You know? And I think that's that's the hard thing is we we are so prone to go to interventions that can have extremely life altering outcomes yeah you get a shoulder replacement a knee replacement what yeah, what could happen yeah, to, to to go to a chiropractor to go to 
try, I mean, I, I don't want to bring a lot of stuff up, but like go energy healing, something like that, or try um, like a, a non-medical intervention, such as like trying naturopathy, yeah. like a, an herbal medicine, which is not going to have any lasting effects on your body. Your body can metabolize all of the things out of it, as opposed to taking a very, I mean, synthetic drug. That can well, have lasting some of those drugs opioids you know yeah. have killed more americans than anybody realizes and we're still okay to take those types of, of yeah. painkillers and what's the research really behind that it's just a ton of marketing you know um true and I I, mean, it's that not that i don't to, believe in those well but it's you also got to look at like i mean the u.s being like the isn't the only country that can market pharmaceuticals that can have uh new zealand can as well zealand can yeah work. where a pharmaceutical company can directly market to a consumer is that what you're talking about yeah i mean yeah. you'll go on tv if you watch actual tv like yeah. What are most of the ads? Oh, so much money being poured into yeah. pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Yeah. So but let's kind of establish what chiropractic is not. You know, we, we talked a lot about these energy modalities. I love essential oils. Chiropractic really isn't essential oils. Yeah. We're not we're not essential oil pe uh, peddlers. Do we do we like a lot of chiropractors like them? Absolutely. Personally, they fan. I think there's a lot of benefits you can get from essential oils because they are a very natural form of these diluted. I mean, substances that have healing properties. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why herbs have been used for millennia. Yeah. I mean, Eastern medicine, which let's be honest, Western medicine is very new. Right. Very new, but yet we think it's the pinnacle of all things. And yeah, are there some definite benefits or we, have we progressed a lot, but we've also regressed in our understanding of the body. Are, are we healthier though with Western medicine? I really don't than, think so. I mean, we can talk about what are we winning? I guess in, in Western medicine, what show me a statistic that is better now than it was before we invented medicine. Yeah, that's a good point. And people might, people might go and they might take and, and reference like polio or smallpox or all these, the Spanish flu, mm -hmm. all these different things say now, well, we have, I mean, surgeries for sure. Now that we have the, um, I mean, the cleaning and the sterilization of, of surgical instruments. And general we, anesthesia. Yeah, we, we, we understand those things, general anesthesia mm -hmm. and sterilization techniques. Yeah. Those have, I mean, oh, definitely significantly increased. But if we're talking about medicine as a form of like pharmaceuticals, there's, I would, I would venture to say that that's made us significantly worse off. Yeah. And things like polio, how much of that was attributed to just having indoor plumbing and True. washing our hands? You know, I mean, look at the progressions and... that we've made just in technology. Yeah. Infrastructure. Yeah. And we're getting Clean the point water. now. We're getting to the point now where technology can diagnose such minute things that I think we're catching a lot more of these diseases before they, you know, go full blown. But constantly yeah. we're we're hyper diagnostic about everything that we approach, and our answer is a medication that most of which we're still trying to establish how effective they are, or how safe they are yeah. long term. Um, so is it really? Surgery. I mean, that's a good question. Is it is it really the advances that we've made in the medical field with more medicine? with more things or is it more our advances in technology that's that's made us better off when it comes to like safer procedures and stuff like that yeah um i would venture guess that it, it's the infrastructure we've built up around what we're doing and not how we deploy them you know we'll, we'll prescribe things all the time we will sign people up for surgeries and we built massive in industries of insurance and healthcare administration and, and all that you know just hospital IT infrastructure. Think about how big of an industry that is. You're, yeah. you're building EHR systems and and billing, you know, 
whole departments that are just dedicated to getting money from insurances for patients to doctors. Yeah, that's an entire movie. You get a degree in in how to exactly deal with insurance. But at the end of the day, are people healthier because of all that stuff we're doing? Or we we feel like we should be healthier because we're spending more money than any country by far. Absolutely. But think about we're the only country in the world right now where mother's mortality is going up during the birth process. Infant outcomes are going down. Like we are losing that war and not by a little bit, by 40% increase in maternal mortality over the last year. Which is the craziest number. I don't know if you guys have read that in the research, but like why is nobody talking about that? Insane number. Yeah. That that would that would 40% increase in in mortality of mothers. It's like iatrogenic genocide in any other standard. Yeah, it's crazy. The fact that we have that high mortality rate in first world country that's supposed to be the, the pinnacle yeah. of of medical expertise and stuff like that. But yet you go over to like Germany and and these other European countries and they have significantly better I mean statistics. Yeah. So, like so let's roll that back. Why why is it that Western medicine is our standard right now other than just that's our culture. That's you know I think that's why. It's because it's become our culture. It's think about all the like TV soap operas that glorify these like brilliant doctors and all the the weird, you know, quack videos that kind of make chiropractors or acupuncturists look like these or holistic healers or different things like that, or any sort of like I mean, people who take on different diets that that they've utilized to to heal their guts or to to help their bodies overcome autoimmune diseases. Yeah. We see those people who say, Oh, that's just quackery, that's just crazy. Like there's no way. Right. But I mean, why? Why do we? Why do we say that? So we have to acknowledge that we're already counterculture, just engaging in these conversations that don't involve our medical model of drugs and surgery first, and then the hail mary pass of chiropractic when that fails. You know? Yeah, I think that's the hard thing is that people use alternative medicine not as a alternative medicine is most effective when it's employed in a prevention. Yeah, as, as a prevention, as yeah. a preventative medicine, as a preventative measure, but we always use it as a—it's the last measure we're going to try. When we don't realize, like, let's say you go and you—you have—I mean, I mean, you get your gallbladder taken out because they say you're now you're having gallstones. Um, when it's like, really, what we should have done is we should have addressed that with, hey, here's some herbs that are going to be very non-invasive. Your body's going to be able to process them out. Let's address your diet. Let's address your exercise. Let's let's take a whole body view of your body and let's get your nervous system functioning the right way so you're not freaking out all the time, producing excess bile. And yeah, let's let's really focus on these different things and take blood panels and instead of immediately just going, let's just take out your gallbladder. Let's take out this organ that your body has for a reason and just go from there. I think I can summarize all of medical philosophy in the idea that it's either too many parts in your body or not enough chemicals. If you think about it, somebody comes in, your doctor is going through an algorithm in his head, this differential diagnosis, you know, chain of testing here and checking this and all of that. And they're getting very good and very quick at that. And computers are automating that process. AI is going to be a huge part of diagnostic medicine, I think, in the future. But they're looking to find out if you have too many parts in your body, including a cancer tumor or you have an extra, oh, God put an appendix appendix in there and it's going to blow up. Like, we better fix that. Let's take Which that up. Which is a it, – that, that organ has a use. Definitely has an – Tell, like, tell me about it's that. A lymphatic, it's a lymphatic organ. I mean, your, your body, just like your body has like your spleen. I know we talk about like you can get your spleen removed and still be alive. But getting your spleen removed like that produces a lot of red blood cells. 
I mean, it also helps with lymphatic um, activity in your body. Okay. You gotta, you gotta think of everything in your body is there for a reason. It has its purpose. And just because we don't understand to the fullness what that purpose is, it's because we don't understand the body that well. We may pretend that we do, but there's a reason why we constantly have new textbooks. And it's apart from just wanting more money from these <laughs> textbook makers, it's because we're constantly learning new things about the body, how it works, how these things interact. And I mean, I want to know what's your, what's your thoughts on the appendix? I mean, it's that little out pouch just at the end of the large intestine. And I think it holds cultures of primordial bacteria that your body needs to repopulate a healthy gut if something happens to it. Say you get amoebic dysentery or heaven forbid you have to go on antibiotics and it just kills everything that's in your gut. That uh, that appendix is kind of like a little bomb shelter for those bugs, the healthy right. bugs to come out and repopulate that with a, with a culture that your body is going to protect its own immune system by reinforcing that gut back that that barrier I mean, that's a, so. I mean yeah we've talked about this before but i yeah. i think that's i mean the perfect example of what it what it could be because honestly i mean the fact that we just take out something so willy-nilly and say or tonsils i just read the coolest thing about tonsils yet. yes i mean it's same very similar to an appendix which is like oh yeah. well you don't need it yes you do it's a huge part of the immune system right yeah and it's almost like if you want to think about the tonsils are kind of like border patrol for your for your respiratory system for your your you know, throat, your esophagus and stuff. And so those organs there, everything that you eat or taste, or even the air that you breathe is laden with these microbes. And that goes into your, in your tonsils. And it, it right there, there's specialized cells that are going to take apart whatever it catches in there, build defenses for your body. And if you take out tonsils, it's like wiping out the border of, of your body. Basically, you don't yeah. have that going on now. So, but we're so quick to just cut those out. Those are extra organs. We don't need them. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I, I kind of want to reference one of my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts that I've heard, um, Russell Brand and Joe Rogan. They talked a little bit about this medical model and we talk about why is Western medicine so big. And I mean, looking at the U S uh, I mean, amazing place built on capitalism, but it was originally built on true capitalism. The problem with medicine is it's, it's a very big medicine is it's economy proof because mm -hmm. there, we're always going to have a need for it. What happened is with, with true capitalism, it's about solving a problem. You're pretty much working yourself out of business and that's what it should be. Find a solution for a problem, put that solution out there, fix the problem. Don't create dependency on that. And then you have to, and that's why we have uh, continued progression in culture is because we're, we're having to solve all these problems because we're working ourselves out of work. We solve a problem, we create a solution, it's gone. And then we have to do something else. We have to create another solution for another problem because there's always going to be more problems that arise. And that's what capitalism is supposed to be. It's about fixing problems, working yourself out of work so we can continue this progression of society. But I think in the U.S. we've become, we've, we've gotten into this model of, of corporatism or whatever you want to call it. Crony capitalism. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Where, where it's about finding a problem creating a solution that's it's a solution for a moment but it creates a dependency on that solution you become dependent completely on that solution and i feel like that's where medicine has become is it's and i've talked to to many friends i have a lot of different friends in in different um schools going to different i mean phar pharmacy um medical school uh do school all these different things pt school and talking with with one of my friends we talked about 
like what would happen if he had a patient that came in and had a specific, had like high blood pressure or something like that. He said, well, these are the medications that I put on, put them on. And I'd say, okay, well, how long are they going to be on those medications? Well, probably for the rest of their lives. Why? Why should they be on a medication for the rest of their lives? What are the things that we could do? Aren't medications supposed to be an intervention for a part-time to help fix a problem? Like, why are we treating this problem? That's high blood pressure is not a lasting problem if you address the actual problem. Yeah. So why aren't we addressing the problem as opposed to saying, hey, you're just going to be on this medication for the rest of your life? Yeah. Or, hey, you're going to be, this is just a, a life, a lifetime thing. Take this pill for the rest of your life. Yeah. Man, well, and you look at some of those big, um, the big industry tycoons of the early 1900s, people like Rockefeller and Carnegie, those guys understood oh, exactly. What super interesting. Definitely listen to this right here. He's yeah. telling me about this. So, and this is a crazy tangent. I, I still need to go down this rabbit hole a little further, but um, those guys, they understood what you were talking about, that medicine is an economy proof, you know, source of endless income, basically, because when you're talking about economy, there's inflexible goods, right? Where there's things that you would do anything to get. And if you're on blood pressure medication and you don't have that, and that's what you need to stay alive. Well, guess what? Everything else doesn't really matter until you get that to keep you alive. Yeah. And so they understood that and, and the power that that would be if they could turn that into a lifelong customer that had to depend on that drug. And so Rockefeller commissioned a study in 1901. Um, well, he started the, what was it called? the Rockefeller um, Medical Research Institute. And they published in 1910, Carnegie paid for what's called the Flexner Report. And they looked at every single college of chiropractic, of osteopathic medicine, of uh, homeopathy, of medical schools, and lobbied, I mean, millions of dollars then, which was billions now, um, just controlling people's perception of these other schools as ineffective, inadequate, antiquated. And they were just painting this picture for Congress and for the news media and things of that time. And people who disagreed with them, interestingly enough, all those people ended up on the Titanic and a lot of them died in the, uh, in the record. So kind of a weird conspiracy there. But as a result of that, they shut down all these other schools, anybody who disagreed with them. They started John Hopkins University. They said, this is the model that we have to have. No more private institutions where you can go and learn about healing. We want everything to be controlled by foundations that we have, and they need to have um, they need to be nonprofit. They need to be government subsidized, so you can get student loans from the federal government. Because now we have Congress on a leash. We can tell you how much money you can spend on on student loans, on subsidies, and things like that. And that's kind of the beginning. And as I look back in history, that was where we started going off. So, so crazy off the rails in the student loan problem that we have. And then the medical schools, it was really easy for these American Medical Association and all these pharmaceutical companies to come in and say, here's how you get your patient better, prescribe this product that we have. And then that product line just changes all the time. Yeah. And I think medical doctors now that kind of poo-poo chiropractic, they set up these straw man arguments of like, oh, well, you know, chiropractors, they believe in this innate intelligence, which is, you know, like a, like they, a cult. They do it's is, like a they, do is they, they, they reference all these different things that they take, oh, well, this chiropractor did this. So this is how our, all chiropractors practice. Right. And they say, well, this has absolutely no scientific basis for it. 
And, and what they're doing is they're using their modern technology now to reference how things were in the 1800s. Yeah. Doctors back then, we didn't have the scientific method. We didn't have pharmaceutical or research yeah, let's, or let's anything like Let's look at like medical practices back in the 1800s, <laughs> yeah. leaching and stuff like that. Yeah. Where, it's I mean, like, oh, you know what? Your, your blood has ghosts in it. I think you need to do cocaine about it. Here you go. You know, and then yeah. they'd leave. And it's like, the, that was, that was quackery if you want to talk about that. Uh -huh. But that was medicine at the time. That's their legacy. That's their heritage. And they want to distance themselves as much as they can from that in time while still holding chiropractors to our belief in the 1800s, which our legacy is, hey, the body is a self-healing, self-organizing, self-rep, you know, it, it's, yeah. it, it is totally contained. God didn't mess up when he made it. Let's just get out of its way and see what it can do. Yeah. And I mean, even, even to take it away from like religion and God per, per se, yeah. just the power that made the body, whatever that power is, is the power that heals the body. Yeah. Like we don't know what signals our body. Yeah. We can, we can come down to chemicals and chemical signaling pathways and different things like that. How, what, what that, that direction is that causes our body to start healing. We can, we can understand those pathways. We can research and see those pathways, yeah. but how does your body know how to organize everything? Yeah. There's genes. How does your body know how to do that? There is something that created your body that is also the, the same power that heals it, whether you want to call it innate intelligence, your body has this innate intelligence within it, whether you want to call that a soul or energy or whatever you want to call it, there is something there. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure we can all agree with that. And, and you can do that without invoking religion or yes. God. And so chiropractic isn't a religion. It's not a, a cult you have to believe in in order for yeah. it to work. And I think a lot of people get I think that, that becomes that. a hard thing is people start equating chiropractic with a religion that it's, I have to be like rah, rah on this religion. It's like, hey, no, like we're just taking into account at all of this, the, the belief that there is, there's so much we don't understand about the body, but the body is a whole organ that works together to try and optimize itself, to try and optimize the expression of itself. Yeah. I love that idea. And I, as a chiropractor, I work with that innate intelligence is what we call it in our philosophy. Um, and it's, it, you don't even have to invoke anything metaphysical when you're, when you're talking about that, you can look on a microscopic scale and see how, you know, how a nerve depolarizes and just the amazing movement of ions across that membrane. That's what accounts for our perception of reality, how we move through the world, how we experience pain, how we fall in love, like all that stuff is those little parts and pieces. But when you look at it as a whole, man, there's so much there that, that we can treat and optimize as a chiropractor, as long as I am getting out of the way of that body and, and optimizing and, and keeping that interference as low as we possibly can, that communication open. So yeah, um, that approach is called salutogenesis, and that's kind of what chiropractic emb embraces. Saluto means health. You yeah, know? The study of health. I mean, yeah. believing that the body is, or that, that health is, it's about being healthy. It's taking that view of health as opposed to pathogenesis. Yeah. Right? And explain that a little bit. Yeah. And so, so medicine is very good at finding things that are wrong and setting out to fix that. They, and, and chiropractors, we start from a position, an assumption of health and balance or homeostasis. You know, the body naturally is inclined to be in balance with itself and yeah. working well. Equilibrium, I mean, for, for, for that word that's constantly thrown out in the scientific world, I mean, balancing and finding an equilibrium in your body. Your body's all about trying to find equilibrium. Yeah. And I think being able to focus and seeing chiropractic as that salutogenesis, the, we study health. 
in chiropractic school, that was the biggest thing is I was there to study health. How does the body function when it's, when it's healthy? How can I help it to become more healthy? And I think that's where, and, and we definitely need that pathogenesis because that's going to help us to understand diseases a little bit better. Yeah. But I think it's taken to extreme sometimes where it's, I'm just going to treat this disease. And it's not about finding the optimal health for this person, but it's instead it's just, I want to get rid of this disease. What caused it? I mean, a lot of times not even what caused it. Let's just attack the disease, get rid of the symptoms. Yeah. And I think medical doctors are very good at finding things that are wrong. And so if you're paying somebody to find something wrong with you, guess what they're going to find? Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of makes sense. And now we've, we've expanded that search into things like pregnancy or, um, you know, attention deficit disorder. Like we're so anxious to find something wrong with people that we don't accept that maybe this is, this is how nature operates, you know? Yeah. We, we are constantly trying to bend natural processes to medical whims and, and then research updates and we start. And I think the hard thing it. with ADHD, if we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I okay. mean, this is definitely a, a topic for another, another day, but if we talk about ADHD and AD and, and different things like that, mental disorders in that way, a lot of times there is, there are certain people to believe that those are genius traits and it comes down to the, the bio-individuality of every single person. Yeah. We're trying to stick every person in the same model of life, of learning, of all these different things. We're, we are not even close to the same. Yeah. His brain is so vastly different than mine. He can learn languages super quick and memorize things super, I mean, music wise, very inclined. And then for me, when it comes to things that I enjoy learning about or active things, physical activities, mm -hmm. I'm much more inclined to things like that. I learn very physically through things like that. He loves reading. He loves learning about these deep things. And I'm very different in that way. Get you on the ski slope and your brain and your body function yes. very differently. <laughs> so like the, I mean, proprioceptively and, and being able to learn activities like that, I'm very good at that. For him, he's really good at learning. I mean, not just gaining all of this knowledge, being able to have these processes laid out in his brain to, to be able to learn different language or, or put research. I mean, guys like a research library <laughs> and... I think being able to understand that everyone's going to be different, we cannot put people's health, people's learning, um, how people act into the same exact model because we're so vastly different and we are an accumulation of our genetics, of our nature, our nurture. I mean, what made us the way we are, what are our traumatic events, what are our, our crowning moments that really shaped our personalities? And I think we have to take that all into account. And it's cool to think like, I don't know what your thoughts really are on ancestral DNA and ancestral trauma, but like, I, I think, yes, you're the sum total of this moment in time, but everything else that's happened to your genetic lineage to get you here. I mean, that's, that's a really, it's a really too. cool thought to think about like, what were the traumas that my ancestors went through? Or the strengths they had. If you're coming yes. at it from like a, a position of strength, like we joke about this all the time. I have great calves because my people were <laughs> running away from his people and you English people were chasing my Scottish ancestors yes. through the bog and up these hills. And so we developed great calves and, and you guys were pendulous, gigantic calves. <laughs> and my people were just sitting on horses. And so we developed these just high up, nice and <laughs> nice little, little calves right calves. there. Yeah. So, so embracing all of that within the chiropractic philosophy is very easy to do because we're accepting that there is bio-individuality and one adjustment is not going to be right for all people all the time, um, which we kind of go off on that tangent quite often with this. But 
is there a time where medicine is the appropriate response and the right answer? And where does medicine fit into this whole picture of national societal health? I think there's a really good, a really good thought on that. And I kind of take the view as medicine is, and I heard someone describe it to me like this one time they were, they were talking about like healthcare, just the body is a house. We have these different compartments in our house. And when you have a problem, you call a specific, like a plumber, if you have a plumbing problem, you call a plumber to fix the plumbing problem. Mm-hmm. If you have, you need cabinets made, you call a cabinet, like a, a cabinet maker to make the cabinets. It's about finding the specific tool for what the problem is going on. And I think so often we are so rushed to call the fire department or the police. And when the fire department comes, like, yeah, you may feel like there's a fire going on in your house, but there's really not. And they're going to, they may find the problem but they're going to knock down a lot of doors in the process and may create some more damage. And that's what happens when we immediately go to surgery is our very first solution, or we immediately start taking these really hard medications that can have lasting effects in our bodies. And then they're going to tell us like, Oh, well, you need to do this. You need to call the plumber. <laughs> okay. I need to call a, a door maker too now because you knocked this in and uh, <laughs> I scratched up everything else. I need to fix these you things. Any good painters? And I'm not saying that medicine's not a good thing. There's definitely a necessity because when there's an emergency, you need that. Um, for surgery, for traumas, for traumas and congenital defects. I think those are the big things where we really need surgeries. We need these, these people that are really trained in things like that, have vast knowledge. But I think we're so quick to turn to a very invasive and invasive in the way of like, it can create lasting changes in your body Mm -hmm. because a lot of these medications that we take, they, they can bind receptors, um, permanently. I mean, you look at aspirin, binds COX-2 receptors, right? Binds those permanently. So you can no longer have those receptors active. Hmm. And so it's one of those things where we have to be very careful about what things are we turning to first. And I think that comes, I, I, I give a lot of the credit for how I think to my mom, because my mom was so hesitant to use, use anything like fevers. All right. We're going to get on this a lot. Okay. I know I've gone off in the, the yeah. weeds a little bit, but like a fever, your body, why are we, why are we so scared of fevers? That's our body's natural response to try and kill off something. It heats up to try and kill or to try and initiate that, the cascade that's associated with like inflammation and that healing process. Okay. That's a natural thing our body's supposed to do. I, I think we're so quick. We're like, oh my gosh, she has a fever of hundred degrees. Your body's going to be okay. Are there situations in which the fever gets out of control? Yes. But it's very rare. If your if your if your baby has a, a little fever, don't give them baby aspirin. Well, and even if they have a big fever, I, and one of the scariest things to see is a febrile seizure in a in a newborn or a, yeah. a child. It looks horrible. But when you understand seizure activity, those ones are more benign. They don't. It's actually the brain's way of releasing these. You know, shutting down the pyogenic creation of the fever. So it it seizes to protect itself and to tell the body, okay, stop making a fever. We're going to let the threat pass or or we already beat the pathogen or whatever it is. I mean, if you ever had a a fever break, as soon as the fever breaks, you feel so much better. Yeah. You just sweat profusely. All of these, all these toxins, all these different things come out because your body's like, okay. And it's funny because that's what we chase when we're in the sauna. We we want to get those, those, those heat shock proteins going and all of that, the benefit of that without having, you know, like salmonella or something. Yes. So <laughs> we, we, we recreate a, a little, yeah, we, we <laughs> recreate a little fever every time we go in a sauna. Yeah. 
And, and there's benefits the other way with coal, which is hilarious because we will wrap ourselves up in blankets, you know, walk around the house and then we'll go do a cold plunge. And because it's healthy for us, it's like, well, your body's actually pretty good at, at meeting those two yeah. extremes a lot better than we give it credit for sometimes. And I think that's why we get such a dopamine hit from those types of things. Cause it's, it's very primitive. It's what our ancestors did to stay healthy. Yeah. So our body wants to reward us for things that shake up the status quo, give it a chance to adapt. Yeah. I mean, we have to think about, it is just recently that we've become so accustomed to comfort. All this amount of comfort that we have is very easy lives in, in terms of food variety, in terms of environment. Yeah. Like yeah. mentally that, that part of our lives has definitely become more stressful than they, they had to worry about thousands of years ago, even hundreds of years ago, whatever it was like, then they just had to worry about go to work, come back. Mm -hmm. They'd have to worry about everything else. that was just really stressful. I mean, all the social media stuff like that, that really just played in and attacked your brain, but their body experienced a lot more of the environmental stress. And so they were, that's how we adapted. That's how we developed. That's how our genetics, that's how our, our evolutionarily, that's how our bodies have gotten to this point is by that environmental stimulus and these extremes. And that's why we're so good at it. But now that we've taken this, we've taken our bodies out of the fight. Yeah. And it's kind of that, that like saying of uh, like hard men create good times. Yeah. Or like easy times. Mm -hmm. Easy times create soft men. Weak men. Yeah, weak men. Weak men create hard times. Yeah. And it's same kind of thing with our bodies. Hard times create healthy bodies. Yeah. That's why we go to the gym. Yes. That's why we maybe pass on the cheesecake, you know, like. Yeah. Make decisions things. that are hard. Yeah. That also, interestingly enough, that increases testosterone levels in yeah. guys and girls. That's what makes effort feel good to us and yes. rewards you. That's more. a super cool concept. And you can look at like Alex Huberman. He talks a lot about that, how people with higher testosterone levels tend to like exercise more because they chase pain because pain feels good. It releases this endorphin. It's, rush yeah. It's, it feels good higher. to them. And so like when someone's in the gym and they're really going hard, and you're just like, okay, there's, there's something inside that. And they say, I love this. I love this pain that I feel. Okay. Your body is really maximizing its potential right now. Yeah. And until I got those levels dialed in and got my body accustomed to that and you push through the, you know, the effort and the soreness initially, but workouts are not rewarding until you get to the point where your body enjoys the adaptation. So, yeah. So being a healthy person doesn't mean that you have no struggles, that there's nothing for you to adapt being to. Being a healthy person means that you have struggles, but you're, a, you're well adapted. Yeah. And it, that, I think there's a parallel there with well adjusted. And I love that we use the word, the adjustment. When we, when we adjust someone in chiropractic, it's about helping them to adapt. I think mm -hmm. adjusting someone is all about helping with adaptation. Yeah. I want your nervous system to be ready and able to adapt. Because we talked about, I don't know if we talked about this, it may have been a different time, um, but the plastic nature of the nervous system mm -hmm. is that it is very highly adaptable, All right? We can create new patterns very quickly. It's about, and that's why chiropractic is so useful and attending the nervous system and focusing on the nervous system, allowing it to adapt and be ready to adapt to these different struggles because we need struggles in our lives to continue to grow. Because there's no growth in a comfort zone and there's no comfort in a growing zone. Mm -hmm. And comfort zones are what are killing most people nowadays. Yes. They don't get off the couch. 
They don't, you know, they're stuck in these band-aid approaches to health where they're on this medication for the rest of their life. They're dependent on the surgery for, you know, whatever yeah. it is they're trying to fix. And not that chiropractic is anti-medicine at all, but there has to be a point where chiropractic can function. And it yes. is, like you said, it's before we do the big surgery or we get you on this lifelong yeah. medication, we shut down this part of your physiology or or take out this organ that produces this hormone, you know, there has to be a place for chiropractic in there. And it's not popular right now because there's no research that's funded. And insurance is much more inclined to do a very invasive thing yeah, as opposed to pay for chiropractic. And why is, like, let's talk a little bit about insurance. Like, what do you say when somebody asks you, well, do you take my insurance or? And that's, I mean, in, in our, in our clinic right here, we, we typically don't take insurance. We take HSA cards, stuff like that. The hard thing with working with insurance is there's so many intricacies that they put in place and it's not about treating the patient. It's mm -hmm. not about giving the patient what they need. And I don't know why, I don't know how it, how it makes any sense for people to, for them to be way more okay with paying for like emergency procedures that, and I mean, these, these crappy things that could be fixed by lifestyle changes. If we were focused on prevention, it would, it would prevent them from having these further problems. Yeah. And, and they're not about prevention. Um, yeah. Your car insurance doesn't pay for your oil change. You yeah. know, that's something you're supposed to just do on your own to keep things, things going. It's the same kind of concept. And I think there's, there's a, probably a reality out there is that chiropractors who are very reliant on, on insurance, they're not the ones that are treating the type of, they're, they're not the wellness model. They're not the prevention yes. model. It, it's typically the, the reactive model mm -hmm. of medicine. Oh, you're injured. Oh, you're in a car accident. Okay. Now we can bill your insurance because there was a, here's trauma. how many, yeah. Here's how many like insurance, here's how many patient uh, visits that insurance will pay for. Yeah. So we know we're going to get reimbursed for something like this. Whereas right. with the wellness model, it's about, Hey, we want you to take control of your health. I want you to take complete accountability for this. And this is exactly why I got into chiropractic as opposed to going to medical school. Because I mean, if anybody have, has known any like the story, how I got into it, like I was in the, the ER, I was shadowing and working at the, at the ER down in the Orem after, well, at the end of my, my college career, I had done all my prereqs for medical school and I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I was sitting there in the hospital and I realized this is just miserable. I hate this. This is not about health. People were coming in. They're just like, Hey, you're 350 pounds. Here's, <laughs> I mean, give them a, a high blood pressure medication or say, Hey, how's your diabetes doing? Like, guys, there's a discount. Why are we not talking about health? Why are we not saying, okay, what have you done for your diet? What are you doing for this? Let's, let's understand the, the underlying problem. That's, you should be your own doctor. You should know more about your health and have more responsibility over your health than anybody else. You're responsible for that. And I think personal responsibility is really something that we lack in this, in this society, in this culture, and especially in healthcare. And everybody talks about right to healthcare, but what's the responsibility of healthcare? Yes. You know, we're not, we're not even focused on that. And I always like to use the uh, parallel with, with a lot of my patients. I say, you're the CEO of your health. I'm just the independent contractor you hired to come and tell you what's going on with your nervous system. So here's what I found. Here's what my recommendations are. Now you tell me what we want to do because you're still running this company. This is, this yeah. is your health responsibility. I'm, I'm not, you're not going to outsource all these decisions to me or your medical doctor because nobody cares about your health like you should. Yeah.
if the adjustment is just something you do to feel good about, you know, to be able to move through the day without addressing the underlying issue, and you're not using it to increase adaptation, you're really not using it at all. Chiropractic, you're literally just swapping out an Excedrin for a pop in your knee that's going to help. And, you know, I have patients all the time that are not interested in pursuing any other aspect of their health. They just want me to make the joint pain go away. And I'm like, man, if you lost 100 pounds, you would feel amazing. This knee wouldn't need to be replaced. Well, I'm just going to wait until it gets bad enough that they'll do the replacement. And then they come back. Well, I, I'm way too much. They can't They can't put me under. They, they can't do the surgery because I'm, I'm overweight here. I thought we missed a lot of opportunities along the way to address things that would have contributed to this. And now gastric bypass is the next step so that we can get you underweight so that we can yeah. now replace those joints that have been under so much strain. And guess what? There's no one person that's responsible for that. It's a lot of healthcare providers and insurance adjusters that nobody's really to blame for that, but everybody is to blame for that. And I think the big thing is you're to blame. You, yeah. You, you yourself. Where else does the buck stop? Yes, absolutely. You make the choices. You were the one who, who, who chose to do these different things. And I'm going to put him a little bit on the spot right now. And, and this is kind of more of a, I don't want to say an attack, but a, a call out of chiropractors right now is... If we want to call ourselves doctors, because when I say I'm Dr. Cutler, I'm a chiropractor. Oh, well, you're not a real doctor. Oh, I absolutely am. <laughs> I have I have education behind me. I have, I have the knowledge, but I also practice what I preach. And I, I'm able to take into account the health of somebody's body. And that's what a, a healthcare provider should do. That's what a doctor needs to be able to do. If I'm a doctor, I should be able to look at their body, doctor in the, in the form of, of health. I should be able to take into account all these different aspects that contribute to that. And so I'm going to kind of throw Caleb out, out there and, and, and give an explanation there because I know Caleb's philosophy has changed a lot on this. And I, he's going to call me out later on something too. Um, <laughs> for, for, um, but when it comes down to like, when I met Caleb, do you feel like you were healthy? I thought I was. Yes, he thought he was. But exercise wise, and I remember we, we roomed for, uh, that was how we, we became really good friends was we roomed together down in Dallas. And I remember he would come home at night and it would be like 12 o'clock at night and I would be meal prepping out all my stuff for the week. Oh, and just like would, racks of sweet potatoes. And yeah, I mean, all and, my stuff. And I just had all my, like my vegetables, my, I mean, my, my meat made. And he would come home and he would pour a big bowl of cereal. I'm the my, first thing I'd eaten all day. Too. Yeah. 11 <laughs> o'clock at night, this gigantic bowl of cereal. And he would sit there and we would and have watch New Girl. New Girl on the TV <laughs> and we would just sit there and, and laugh and he'd just be eating this. And I knew he was well adjusted. I knew he got adjusted very regularly. So it was, I mean, neurologically. And I was like, you know what? I'm not sick. Nothing hurts. Yeah. So I must be healthy. But, but when it came down to it, like, what was his VO2 max? What were his, his performance factors? Could he actually perform things and live his life to the fullest? Yeah. Could you go on a two mile hike? Heck no. It would just, it would have, he probably could have, but it would have been a struggle. <laughs> and that's where it comes down to is it's not just about feeling good. It's about being able to perform look good, move well, mm-hmm. feel even better. And doctors make really crummy patients, but it, there came a moment where I'm like, you know what? Dr. Cutler is my primary care practitioner now. Like I'm going to trust him to my health. He's going to take care of my nervous system, but I want him to tell me everything else that's wrong with this. And what do you mean a big bowl of cereal at 11 o'clock at night is bad as the only form of food that I've had that day? Yeah. And what's an you know, adrenal fatigue? What are my testosterone levels like? Like what, what other tests can we, can we do to get eyes on this whole big picture? And I've, 
in 2012, I jumped tracks completely from the medical model that was, I was not healthy then. Yeah. I was sick all the time. Everything hurt. And I thought I was dying. Jumped right into chiropractic. That was the last time I ever took any kind of synthetic medicine, had any kind of medical intervention on that. And I've adjusted, I've, I've had chiropractic manage my healthcare since then, but I've had you manage it since those days when we first started nutrition and exercise and taking account of other things as well as yeah. supplementation yeah and taking kind of um herbs and and, and those right. different things but they're very targeted based on yes. what he sees my body is lacking either in diet or or areas where i'm not adapting as well i'm not recovering well um we have this awesome home gym we're working out in and he's he's giving me these workouts and and gradually my my cardiovascular endurance has come up my you know my vo2 max compared to what it oh, was yeah. then like I, I've done the work there and it takes some time and consistency. It's not, I don't go on a diet because it's a good cleanse, you know, to reset things. And then I go back to where yeah. I was. Um, I can't tell you the last time I had a bowl of cereal. Well, it was, it was probably those days in Dallas. Yeah. And I mean, so, honestly, like Kayla has made a huge, like if you could see him before, like, and the people who do know him know that before, like Caleb looks phenomenal now. And he's still, he's still on that thing. Like Caleb has created a lifetime change, a lifestyle change. Um, both with diet, like guy has phenomenal control with his diet. Um, I mean, awesome thing, super proud of him, but he lives and he practices what he preached and he is a true healthcare provider because he asks, and this is one thing that like, I've noticed him, he's definitely progressed on is Caleb knows what to eat now as much as like, that's more something that I love to talk about nutrition and stuff. Caleb can at least take into account, what are you eating in your diet? And we learn these things in school. We learn about nutrition in school, mm -hmm. but a lot of times we just throw it by the wayside because, oh, well, I'm not really interested in that. But as chiropractors, if you want to be able to say you're a truly a healthcare practitioner, you need to be able to have that in your arsenal, understand the importance of that and how it plays into the body. And I think where people get frustrated is they go to these providers who claim providers, you know, practitioners yeah. who claim to be these experts on nutrition or functional medicine or things like that. And they've got a bottle of Excedrin in their top drawer, you know, like they, just in case they, they, get they drink an energy drink every single morning. They got three Celsius cans or whatever like that, or got to get through the day this way. Look at that person. And, and if they don't look like they practice what they preach, if they're not eating, like they're telling you to eat, if they're not treating themselves or their family, like they're treating you quote unquote, that hypocrisy really, it, it's palpable. You can feel it when you walk in a room, yeah. if somebody is actually living and believing what they're telling you to do. If they figured it out, they dialed it in, if they have the training to do that, or if they're just reading one chapter ahead on whatever supplement they're recommending to you, oh, this is really good. And next week, it's going to be a different product I'm trying to sell. And that's where we get so frustrated as a, as, as a profession. We're hamstringing ourselves. I think the challenge that. too, kind of along that line is that patients come to us and their entire life, they've been in the, the Western medical model that we're you know both basically raised in, you to a lesser degree, but they they want to make a change. They're like, okay, this isn't working for me. I'm I'm not healthier. I'm not fitter. I'm not enjoying life being on all these medications or having all these, you know, surgical interventions and things. They know it's not working for them. They want to change it up. And they're going to try chiropractic out and they're going to put one foot in the door with what we're doing, but they're not quite ready to to give up everything else. And it's a process. Like there is a crossover time for that, but that philosophy doesn't work well together. Yeah. You really can't do medicine and chiropractic at the same time and expect your body to heal and fix it. At least itself. you can't do medicine where it's at right now. That's true. 
like maybe if we took medicine for for what it should be, which is an emergency intervention and having that as the backup of like, hey, if this stuff doesn't work, we absolutely need to go and try something a little bit more extreme. Yeah. We had an incident a couple months ago. When did you have your little adventure? don't really remember. You don't remember. <laughs> I, I I saw when something unexpected like that happened. We had a, a trauma, an injury. I mean, you can explain it. It dropped away. Well, I was doing setups at the gym. I still don't know what was happening, but <laughs> I was doing setups. I was in a GHD machine at uh, a gym, and I unhooked my feet, and I was holding a forty-five pound plate because I was doing GHD setups, and I slid backwards off of it, and I had the weight like up towards my head, and it, hit the ground, probably fell about three feet, two and a half, three feet, hit the ground and the plate came down and smashed my head into the ground, knocked me clean out. And when I woke up, I was sitting there convulsing. My fingers are doing this weird thing. And the lady next to me is just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's called should, the lady over. We should check on her. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so one of the workers comes over, he's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And then, I mean, after sitting there for a couple of minutes, I kept, I kept working out, kept trying to work out and realized like, wow, I'm going to pass out. And so blood I'm, everywhere. Oh, it's sad now. Yeah, I realize there's blood all over the place. Like I have blood coming down my neck. It's all over my shirt. Back in my, I mean, luckily I had long hair, so you couldn't really see the fact that I was just bleeding profusely. And uh, so I come flying home from work. I told her like, hey, I think I might need to go get an X-ray. Yeah, <laughs> so. and that's exactly what we did. We went in, and and chiropractic doesn't disregard the realities of medical trauma world medical trauma yeah i i wanted to make sure that we didn't have you know fractures or anything like that that there was no subdural hematomas things like that got to this um the uh, imaging center that we use for our patients phenomenal service they were they were really great they saw that he was bleeding they stitched him up like you know any good provider you know practitioner would but um we go back there and and did the imaging and stuff the radiologist on call wasn't there yet wasn't ready to read the films and it took him about 24 hours i think to get it was really fast turnaround i compare that with what most people would do is go to an urgent care wait in the waiting room fill all this paperwork do a copay play the whole insurance game while you're bleeding from a head wound and i've i've done that before um and then the doctor finally is going to say well let's make sure that nothing's broken let's go get you an image well let's just jump right to that point then and and from there um she had the images up on the computer she's like yeah if you guys want to look at them you know they're here. And so we read your image and I knew that there wasn't any cause for concern. It was a bad head wound. Yeah. So I called a gym right down the street and I was like, Hey, we need some ice for you know a patient I'm bringing in. And they were cool. I swung by, we picked up some ice and then we treated it chiropractically after that. Yeah. And I, just got, I mean, definitely had a headache for several days. I mean, my muscles were guarding like crazy or like crazy. Yeah. I, I knew I was having some sort of stuff going on and I mean, as much as like, it would have been great to, to take like ibuprofen or Tylenol just to, to deal with pain like that. It's like when it came down to it, I didn't want to have to deal with that stuff in my body. I believe a certain way. I was going to practice a certain way. I was going to practice what I preach. And it was miserable. It sucked yeah, being I mean, it was, hurt at being sick. But honestly, like my body adapted very well because of the, the care that I did have. And it wasn't like, yeah, did it hurt sometimes? Absolutely. But it was... <laughs> The bed looked like a murder yeah. scene every morning. You wake up, I was like, somebody was got just, just, like the, just like the first two days. It just kept That's on true. oozing. Um, but like, it was fine. One of my mentors was diagnosed with cancer really early on. And he went, when the chips are down, you really see what people are made of. And it's like Mike Tyson says, you know, everybody has a plan until they get hit. Well, in the face. yeah, or a plate falls on your head, you know, and then you see what Bridger's made of if he's going to 
you know, how he responds. And I don't judge anybody how they respond because pain thresholds are so different. Pain. But let's talk about, let's talk about your, let's talk about Dr. Shrett. Yeah. So he responds to this cancer diagnosis like any chiropractor would. And any chiropractor should. Should. A a true chiropractor, I guess. Yeah. And does everything that he needs to. And ever since then, I mean, it was a grim prognosis. You know, he, he was really down and out, but turned it around. And ever since then, he's been taking preventative measures after that because he knows that that is a risk. Got rid of it completely. Yeah. And hopefully we never have to cross that drug and surgery line, barring discovering a congenital defect or facing a huge trauma. Yeah. And I I really believe that's that's the model that I want to live in. Uh, It doesn't pay as much money to insurance companies. We're not treating, I'm not, I'm not focused on pain. Yeah. We're not focused on pain. We're focused on trying to get people well. Yeah. And I think if that is our approach and that's our foundation philosophy, um, it's a much better model with that. So cool. Good thoughts, man. I, I don't know there's anywhere else we really I mean, this have to a, go with all that. Really that was phenomenal. Hopefully you guys gleaned some, some good stuff from it. Uh, if nothing else, I want you to understand kind of where chiropractic is coming from as a profession. That way you can make those decisions through that filter as you decide who you're going to trust your health with and and what their aim is um, because it's a very different model from the Western medicine that we've all been raised in. Yeah. And I, I mean, just to kind of give like a basic outline of this, chiropractic is not essential oils. It's not, I mean, homeopathy. It's not natu- uh, naturopathy. It's, it's not magnet healing. It's not energy healing. It's not AK. Is it inclined to include certain things like that and those alternatives? because they're less invasive, because there are positive benefits that people have found in those different things. Absolutely. Typically, yes. That's that's typical what's associated with chiropractic, but chiropractic is fit, is focused on the body as a whole. What things can I do for the body as a whole? Adjust that person when it comes to, to providing education for physical therapy and stuff like that. And physiotherapy, how the body moves, we should be able to understand that your chiropractor should have a good knowledge of that, give you exercises, tell you about those different recommendations they have to help you to be, I mean, preventative, but also to come back from injuries. Um, that's part of chiropractic, being able to have that understanding of biomechanics and, and healing and the processes and strengthening uh, those different things um, really is very very vital and very pivotal to what we do. And I, I just want to add one, one last thing and is, should everybody see a chiropractor? Absolutely. I think our talk today is that if we view chiropractic as a, an attempt to maximize adaptation capacity, everybody should see a chiropractor. I'm not saying you have to see a chiropractor all the time. And if your chiropractor gives you the same care plan or the same like recommendations, he gives all of his patients, you need to come in here once a week for this many weeks, or you need to come in here three times a week for 10 weeks, or you need to come in here this many times and I'll I'll promise I'll get you better. Like it should be adapt. It should be adapted to you. And if the chiropractor says, well, I don't need to see you again. He doesn't really understand what our, our goal is of wellness, of prevention, of if a chiropractor truly understands our role and what we should be doing and has confidence in the adjustment in our role, then we should be telling people, Hey, like 100%, you don't have to come in here, but ideally we, we want to, we want to maximize your, your, your capacity for health. Yeah. Well said. Thanks guys. Send us your suggestions, uh, complaints, concerns, 
cooking recipes, what have you, to the link Lots below. Lots of concerns. Yes. All this. That's what I want. <laughs> I want to feed off your hatred. No, we appreciate you guys watching and I hope you'll join us next time on Hey Doc. Hey Doc.